Paranormal, the podcast with your host, Leo Rizzuti. Every week we will explore such topics as ghosts, demons, poltergeist, haunted history, time shifts, cryptozoology, and other aspects of the paranormal through listener-submitted accounts, documentary studies, and interviews with the investigators that dedicate their lives to searching for proof of the unknown. So go get a fresh cup of coffee, dim the lights, relax, and get ready for a short visit to the realm of the true paranormal. Hi guys, Leo Rizzuti here. Welcome to episode 3 of True Paranormal, the podcast. This week, instead of sharing listener stories, I thought we might look into the history of some haunted locations. Some of the more famous areas that have had classic hauntings through the years and places that you could probably still visit today if you wanted to. Uh, we have on our plate Mackinac Island of Michigan which is a great, not only a great haunting location, but it's a great American historical location located in the upper part of Michigan, right on Lake Huron. And the other location is a place that is near and dear to my heart. It's one of the more famous haunting stories out there. Uh, it's the Calvados Castle incident. It is the one that really kind of got me into exploring the paranormal. And I thought I might share the story behind it with you guys, hoping that you would enjoy it. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get going. Mackinac Island, Michigan is located in Lake Huron, at the eastern end of the Straits of Mackinac, between the state's upper and lower peninsulas. The island was home to an Ottawa settlement before European exploration began in the 17th century, and it served as a strategic position as the center of trade for the commerce in the Great Lakes fur trade. Eventually, this led to the establishment of Fort Mackinac on the island by the British during the American Revolutionary War. It was the site of two battles during the War of 1812. When you take an island that essentially amounts to a giant Native American burial ground, build a fort on it, kill a whole bunch of people there, and then turn it into a tourist destination, you get to set up for, eh, maybe a great 80s horror film. Or, in this case, you get an island filled with so many ghosts, it would be difficult to list them all. But while Mackinac might be teeming with spirits, there are a few that tend to make their presence known a little more often. These ghosts are particularly recognized for not only scaring the bejesus out of visitors, but for pushing investigators to dig up some of the island's more unsavory events swept under the rug of history. The Grand Hotel Built in the late 19th century, the Grand Hotel is known for two things. One, being the setting for the 1980 film Somewhere in Time, starring Christopher Reeve, and two, for being haunted as all get out. Legend says that when the construction crew was digging the hotel's foundation, they began to find so many human skeletons that they lost track of them all. To this day, rumors persist that the workers, increasingly unsure of how to handle the situation, simply gave up on collecting the bones and started building the hotel anyway. The results are, well, as you might predict. One of the spookiest tales to come from the old hotel deals with an evil entity in the form of a black mass. As two maintenance men performed a check on the hotel's theater stage, one of them was struck with the overwhelming feeling that something was watching them, something that he could only describe as evil. As he looked out over the stage, he noticed two glowing red eyes 
appearing from a dark shadow hovering above the theater floor. As he watched in horror, the black form began to rush towards him, knocking him off his feet. Two days later, the man woke in a hospital and swore to never return to the Grand. The stories don't stop there. Some staff have reported seeing a man in a top hat frequently the second bar's piano, only to disappear moments later, leaving only the lingering scent of a cigar behind. Others have reported a woman in Victorian clothing that tends to roam the hotel's employee housing, sometimes even curling up next to workers as they bed down for the night. Fort Mackinac It goes without saying that locations known for their part in battle are magnets for restless spirits. Just look at Gettysburg or the Perrysville battlefield. But rarely are there as many reports as the ones captured in Fort Mackinac. From apparitions of soldiers glimpsed walking the rifle range trail, to piles of phantom limbs spotted in the hospital, to furniture that moves on its own, tripping motion detectors in Officer Hill's apartment quarters, the fort has no shortage of paranormal activity. Not all of the deaths that occurred at Fort Mackinac were those of soldiers, either. At least 13 children died there, victims of typhoid fever, tuberculosis, and other diseases. Those who have heard the cries of children echo through the halls believe that some of their spirits still reside among the private quarters where they once lived. Even eerier, those who wake early enough to watch the sunrise can sometimes hear the sounds of a phantom fife player echoing through the fogs near the fort's north Sallyport entrance. The Drowning Pool Located in the area between the Mission Point Resort and Mackinac's downtown area is a 20-foot drop-off which has long been nicknamed the Drowning Pool. According to local historian and paranormal researcher Todd Clements, it received its name not from the occasional accidental drowning, but from the purposeful torture of women accused of witchcraft. Back in the 1700s and early 1800s, when Fort Mackinac was at its heyday, a lot of brothels popped up. Seven women were accused of being witches and enticing unsuspecting soldiers, fur traders, and husbands to their houses. It is said that rocks were tied around their ankles and they were thrown into the lagoon. If they sank, they were innocent. Sorry. Clements believes that the accused still haunt the drowning pool, making it one of the scariest and perhaps the most dangerous places on the island. We've seen shadows come out of water that make no noise or ripples, he told the Midland Daily News. We've heard huge splashes that were simply too big to be fish, and no one else is around. Mission Point Resort Built in the 1950s as a World Conference Center for the Moral Realignment, a cultish religious group that aimed to mold the world's morals to their own liking, the property changed hands a few times until the late 80s, when it officially became the Mission Point Resort. Of all the haunts on Mackinac Island, this one reigns as the most active. The resort's most popular ghost is that of a student nicknamed Harvey who died in the late 60s. As the official story goes, Harvey, the victim of a broken heart, made his way to the bluff behind the resort, then leased to Mackinac College, pulled a gun, and shot himself. His body wasn't discovered for six months. Clements, 
who spoke with a state police officer about the case, believes that there was more to Harvey's story, which might explain why his spirit never left the island. They ruled it as a suicide at the time, said Clements, but we believe there was another guy involved in his death. Clements discovered that Harvey died from not one, but two bullets to the head. Adding more fuel to the mystery was the fact that the gun wasn't discovered anywhere near his body. If that doesn't say unfinished business, I don't know what does. Today, Harvey is often reported lingering in the Mission Points Theater, where he's known to pinch and poke young women in the dark. Numerous other spirits are said to inhabit the resort, from ghosts of a young girl heard calling to her parents, to Native American spirits wandering the property, to a woman heard singing old-time music near the theater. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this Mackinac Island sounds to me like exactly the kind of place I would want to vacation. Uh, it might sound weird. Some folks look for beaches, you know, Tahiti, uh, Hawaii, Myrtle Beach, even something like that. Uh, some folks look to mountains, you know, they look towards log cabin resorts, things like that. Me, I look for some place where I'm going to be kept up at night by bumps and sounds and things that I just can't explain. I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of weird that way. But at any rate, Mackinac Island is a state park. It is still obviously open to the public, so anybody can visit at any time. Obviously, the resort is open. The Grand Hotel is obviously open for business, uh, so if you wanted to, you could actually stay there and you know do your own little haunting investigation on your own. They do actually offer um, ghost tours. They offer paranormal investigator tours there, which would be really uh, neat to go on. And they offer some other... Uh, other interesting things, some events that are geared more towards the haunting and the history of Mackinac Island. At any rate, it definitely is worth a visit if you get a chance. Now, this next story is one, as I said, that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, when I was a young child, I started reading stories on uh, ghostly activities on hauntings, things like that, and I wasn't wasn't really interested in horror books. Although you know, like anybody else, I was I was into Stephen King and things like that. But I was more interested into the real life tales of what it was like to live in a haunted house or what it was like to to be in a haunted location. And it didn't matter to me if this was something that happened. 15 years ago or 500 years ago. If there was evidence and there was documentation, I wanted to hear about it. And this was one of the early stories that really caught my attention and kind of set me on my path to where I am now. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. One little word of warning to you guys. Uh, uh, this is a story out of France. And I do not speak French. I do not really read French all that well. Uh, so I know that I'm going to butcher these names. I know that my pronunciations are going to be horrible. If you want to laugh at me, laugh at me. I speak uh, basically English and redneck English. So that's pretty much the extent of my foreign language skills. But I'm going to do my best. So here we go. The Haunting of Calvados Castle Chateau de Nuers de Chigneur, or as it's more famously known, Calvados Castle, which I might add is also infinitely easier to say, is a chateau located in Normandy in the picturesque town of Calvados. It was built upon the ruined foundations of an earlier medieval castle, the history of which has been lost to time. 
Even before the newer structure had been built, there had been stories surrounding the property, including a phantom lady in white that patrolled the grounds and even stories of werewolves terrorizing the locals. But all of these former tales paled in comparison to the events which were recorded as happening in the months between October 1875 and January 1876. Fortunately for us, all of the activity that you are about to hear of was recorded in the journal of the owner of the property, one Monsieur de Manvel, and later reported on by M.J. Maurice in detail to the 1892 and 1893 Annales de Science Physiques. In October 1867, the de Manvel family inherited the chateau. Monsieur and Madame de Manvel took residence with their son, Maurice, his tutor, Abby, their coachman, Emile, Auguste, who was their gardener, Celine, their cook, and Emilina, their maid. From the beginning, the family noted activity. Doors slamming, strange noises, and objects moving on their own accord kept the family and their servants on edge for the first few years. Then, in 1870, it all stopped. Until October of 1875. The unexpected noises were back and, for no discernible reason, began to escalate. Severely unnerved, Monsieur de Manvel began to make a daily record of the disturbances experienced by his family, their friends, servants, and even the clergy he soon brought in to help them with what was clearly a supernatural problem. What started as the odd bang in a far-off room, maybe a misheard shout in the distance, moved closer, became louder and more frequent. Then, whatever it was, became vindictive. During the evening of 13 October, the tutor asked to speak with Monsieur and Madame de Manvel. Pale and shaking, the tutor explained that he had seen a chair in his room move of its own accord. Unimpressed, Monsieur de Manvel took a look at the tutor's room, stuck the chair into position, and fastened it with some sticky paper and told him to let them know if anything further occurred. Later that night, Monsieur de Manvel was woken by a bell the tutor kept by his bed. Hurrying to the man's room, he discovered the young tutor terrified in his bed. The covers pulled up around him. The chair was in a completely different part of the room, and candlesticks and ornaments had been knocked over. The young tutor whispered that he had been woken by sharp rappings on the walls. As he spoke, loud thumps echoed around the chateau from every corner. Quickly, arming his servants, Monsieur de Manvel searched every room. They found nothing, and slowly the sound seemed to move further away. From that night, it was as though something unspeakable had been woken that would not sleep. Night after night after night, the household was terrorized and exhausted by the sound of a fist banging on doors and knocking on windows. A huge object could be heard, but not seen, rolling down the stairs as if a giant cannonball had been let loose at the top and allowed to go to the bottom. They implored the parish priest to visit and maybe stay for a night. His sleep was broken in the early hours by heavy footsteps of what must have been, as he described, a giant of a man stomping down the main staircase. The priest told the family he believed strongly that something supernatural was the cause and quickly left. On Halloween, the whales... Shouts and thumping noises were truly terrifying, keeping the household awake and petrified until three in the morning. Its activity seemed to start with loud knocking in what was known as the green room. 
It was during a terrible November storm that the screaming started. For a fraction of a second, the noise maybe could have been high winds through the trees that surrounded the chateau. But then they became louder and louder until outside the voices of a distressed woman was heard desperately calling for help. The next day, the voice was inside the chateau. Plaintive calls for help, horrible shrieks, and sorrowful whimpering chilled listeners. But no woman could be found anywhere. The following night, they were woken by wretched sobbing in the now-locked green room. They did not investigate as the cries of a woman suffering terribly became louder and more shrill. The tutor was frequently the subject of quiet horrors. In his now-locked room, objects would be rearranged, shoes laid out in odd patterns, candlesticks balanced on top of each other, a chair found on top of the table. Windows that had been nailed shut were blown open. One day he came back to find every book thrown from his shelves to the floor, all except the Holy Scriptures. This from the journal of Monsieur de Monville. 11 p.m., January 17. Woken what sounds like a body falling in the first floor corridor, followed by a heavy ball that rolls along the corridor to strike loudly on the door of the green room. Twenty sharp rapping sounds, then eighteen coming from inside the green room itself. At 11.35, five blows upon the door of the green room. Fifteen loud, thumping noises going up the stairs to the second floor. Two gunshots. Footless legs walk ten paces up the stairs to the second floor as the building seems to shake. At 15 minutes past midnight, eight strong blows on the first floor landing. Three on the second. Many nights something seemed to tour the castle, knocking a few times on every door, always more on the door of the tutor, as if asking for admittance before thumping sounds were heard in the green room. Just one person was hurt by the poltergeist. Mademoiselle de Manvel was unlocking a door when the key was ripped from and used to strike the back of her hand, leaving a huge bruise. The priest reported to the bishop, who sent a cannon whose enhanced spiritual presence seemed to maybe calm the poltergeist activity for a while. Then, after a few days of peace, it all started up again, worse than before. Something unseen forced its way into the rooms of Auguste and Emile and threw around their belongings and overturned their beds. All the books and papers in Monsieur de Manvel's study were thrown in a heap on the floor. Sinister nighttime screams were joined by the crowds of animals and the bellow of a bull. Once again, the footless legs returned, marching up and down the stairs, but this time not at a normal speed, but at a nearly superhuman speed that no person could ever match. Pulse-like tapping was regularly heard moving along corridors towards the room of Maurice, the son of the house. It only stopped when something hit his door so hard, every window in the chateau shook. The priest agreed to conduct the rites of exorcism. He also arranged for a novena of masses to be said at Lourdes at the same time. Late afternoon on January 26 of 1876, the parish priest arrived at Chateau de Noir de Tonnerre. His arrival was heralded by the terribly unearthly scream and the sound of stampeding animals. A noise like heavy furniture being roughly moved was followed by the door to Maurice's room shaking, as if something vile demanded to get in. As the exorcism reached its peak at 11.15, they heard the agonized roar of an animal slowly killed. Furious thumps and 
Knocking sounds were heard from the green room as a man's voice seemed to be shouting up on the first floor landing. And then nothing. Exhausted, the priest slumped in a chair as the family and their servants cautiously explored the house. Apart from an unknown earthenware plate found broken on the floor by Mademoiselle de Manvel's room, they found nothing strange. For a few days all was quiet until one evening, as Mademoiselle de Manvel sat writing at her desk from out of nowhere, handfuls of holy medals and crosses previously disappeared fell onto her papers. This was followed by some months of quiet. Then, sometime in August, to everyone's distress, quiet but distinct tapping sounds began to sound in odd corners of the chateau. In September, the drawing room furniture was rearranged into a horseshoe shape. Soon afterwards, when Monsieur de Manvel was away on business, Mademoiselle de Manvel saw with growing dread the bolt on her bedroom door move back on its own accord. But this time the haunting was different. An organ played itself, and furniture in the room of Maurice's new tutor appeared to move, but for a family who had experienced the terrors of the previous winter, it was unpleasant rather than frightening. After a few weeks, the phenomena just seemed to drift away, until at last the house was at least mostly peaceful. But by then the family de Mavel had moved out. To this day the castle still remains. An unexplained fire gutted the building in 1984, destroying everything but, for some reason, the mysterious green room where much of the activity was centered. It's private property, and if you're fortunate enough to be traveling in the area, you can visit, as the grounds are kept open for visitors on holidays and are also used for local town celebrations. If you do go, try not to go alone, as many people who visit still describe the grounds as a very unsettling place to be, especially when alone. Were the events described simply an extreme case of poltergeist activity? I, I tend to think not, especially when you take into account the wide variety of happenings. This has always been put under the heading of poltergeist for some reason. I think mainly because of the moving objects, and sometimes poltergeist you, you hear, do hear raps and you do hear moving objects. But having experienced poltergeist activity, I think this goes maybe one step beyond to an actively malevolent entity that was highly disturbed at the presence of the de Manvels and their troop on the property. Perhaps activity was tied to the stones that made up the foundations of the newer home, or to the grounds itself, whose history has never been fully explored. In any case, the haunting of Calvados Castles remains one of the best documented and extreme paranormal cases in history, and was one of the early stories that propelled me into a lifetime of study into the realm of the true paranormal. Well, guys, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, it's a short podcast, uh, kind of a bullet podcast, but I hope you guys enjoyed it nonetheless. Like I said, these two stories, Mackinac Island, I was not uh, all that familiar with, but I do want to thank my buddy Corey for uh, turning me on to that one. Uh, he is a great investigator who I hope to get on the show at some point. Uh, hint, hint, Corey. And... Uh, as I said, Calvados Castle is one that has always intrigued me and has always been near and dear to my heart. And I hope you guys kind of got a feel for uh, what it might have been like living under those circumstances, especially at that time when there was a lot more superstition and things like that going on. People had no idea what could be causing things. It's not like you had paranormal investigators going around like you do now and people were explaining stuff. These folks were terrified beyond all belief. 
So uh, that was a really neat story to me, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. At any rate, uh, we will be back to doing listener stories next week. So you guys get your stories in. We, we would be glad to read them on the podcast. Again, if you go to our Facebook page, True Paranormal, the podcast, you can find us there. Give us a like, hit that email button, send your stories, and we'd be glad to share it on the air. Also, if you have, if you are an investigator and you'd like for us to interview you, again, just hit our True Paranormal, the podcast Facebook page and shoot me a message and we'll be glad to hook up with you. Until next week, my name is Leo Rizzuti. I hope you enjoyed the show. This has been True Paranormal, the podcast. <laughs>